This episode has swearing. Just so you can't say I didn't warn you, here's all of the swearing in one super edit. Ready? Cats can fuck. 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 Fuck no. Fuck. I thought they were going to fuck up, to be honest. Shut the fuck up and do your job. Fuck you. Fuck up. Fuck. Fuck. Cats fuck on the blockchain. Fuck. Cats fuck. We're going to fuck up this product. Fuck. Fuck. Fuck you, we want to know. Fuck. 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 We're going to fuck a basketball. Fuck. Fuck. How the fuck did you do this? Let me tell you about the guest on today's show by giving you a bit of background on some of the projects he's been involved with. Links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on the mintedpodcast.com website or in the show notes of this episode in your podcast player. Today's guest is Mac Flavel. He's the creative director behind some of the most influential NFT projects in the last few years. Both from a creative and technical perspective, his work has impact. The most well-known project he's been involved with is probably CryptoKitties. He was also part of the creative team working on Top Shots and then went on to work on NFT projects for Hollywood IP like Ghostbusters Afterlife and Hollywood VIPs like Mila Kunis and Aston Kutcher with Stoner Cats. Most recently, he's been working on a very personal NFT collection, which has nothing to do with cats yet, I think. It's called Oni Ronin. You'll hear about the big projects, but it's actually Mac's only Ronin project that I think stands out most for me because it has such artistic integrity. If you've worked on so many big name projects that exceeded all expectations and broke new records, how does it feel when one of them doesn't do as well? Before we get to any running though, I want to start with CryptoKitties, a project that changed everything for Mac, and not just Mac. CryptoKitties changed NFTs in a huge way. My name is Mac Flavel. I make NFTs. I have been doing that longer than most people, but it's not the only thing I have done. Uh, in 2017, I worked at a company called Axiom Zen, and my friend and boss, whose name is Roham, said to me, hey, I need you to make the blockchain fun. And I said, hey, that's a fucking terrible idea because nobody likes the blockchain except libertarian mouth breathers and fucking anarchists, and we are neither. So why don't we go do real work that matters? And he said, it's very cute that you have an opinion, but how about you shut the fuck up and do your job? And I said, huh, okay, good call, man, good call. And so I went into the woods for three days, and I thought about it, and I returned, and I said, I know three things to be true. First of all, We'd been making a bunch of consumer apps at Axiom Zen, like, like games and ephemeral messaging and a bunch of other little things. And none of them really worked. But one thing we, I had learned, because I led the, the consumer sort of product team, was um, that you shouldn't explain why you use cats. You should explain why you don't use cats. They're opt-out, not opt-in. It's like, if you're, if you're uh, 10 years ago, if you were a startup, and you weren't based in San Francisco, you had to have a goddamn good reason why you weren't if you were trying to raise money from VCs. You could, but you had to explain why. That's cats and, and consumer apps. Like, you don't have to use them. You just have to have a damn good explanation for why you're not. Um, the second thing is I've always wanted to make a gardening game. Like, for years, I want to make a game where you don't know what butterflies or what birds are going to visit your garden. And that would depend on what seeds and what flowers you had. I've always wanted to make that game. I still want to make that game. And third, I seen a CryptoPunk and I was like, oh, 
I would, for the first time ever, I have a fuck to give about this blockchain thing because I want to own that cool little picture of a pixelated Wonder Woman. And so I bought it for $35 and I still have it. So those three things, I went back to work and I'm like, hey, obviously we should make cats fuck on the blockchain. Like you said, how do I make the blockchain fun? Cat fucking is the, is the thing, let's do it. And everybody's like, oh, you're so weird, but okay. And that's what I went and told Dieter and Dieter at Axiom was like, dude, this is like literally nonsensical, but I understand what you're trying to say. And what you need is a new standard on the Ethereum protocol in order to have non-fungibility in your tokens. And if you have non-fungibility, then the cats can fuck. I'm like, okay, don't know what you just said, but like, yes, please. Can I have another, sir? And so Dieter wrote the 721 standard. He did not do it alone, but he is responsible, uh, not single-handedly responsible, but responsible for the 721 standard. And we wrote that, and then we made my cats fuck. And if you know anything about NFTs, you understand that the 721 standard is significant for the journey that we've all been on together. Basically, your multi-billion dollar JPEG empires are built on my fantasies of cat fucking, which is a very strange thing. Here's a couple of things you need to know about the 721 standard that's going to put everything Mac just said in context. The Ethereum community proposes and agrees on sets of standards for code. Once agreed, that proposal gets a special name with a number. Improvements to Ethereum can be formally proposed by anybody. Any feature, changes to the way the code works, even fundamental changes to the whole system but those proposals actually need enough votes from people in the community before they can be implemented. The community is free to ask questions and raise objections about any proposal along the way. And when a proposal becomes a standard, it changes from being an EIP document to an ERC. You can read the first or any of the 3,382 proposals online at eips.ethereum.org. The first token standard was the ERC-20. Designed for building fungible tokens like digital currencies, the ERC-20 contract standard is a framework that developers were able to use to create voting tokens or virtual currencies. USDC and DAI are both ERC-20s. That level of standardization is important because it means that people can build platforms and services to interact with that standard. Compared to the ERC-20, a key difference with the ERC-721 is that the contract can store and transfer ownership of a name, description, URL, and other data about each NFT. In the original proposal, specs for the ERC-721, which you can read online, the authors said NFTs are distinguishable and you must track the ownership of each one separately. The authors added, quote, We considered a diverse universe of assets, and we know you will dream up many more. Physical property, houses, unique artwork, virtual collectibles, unique pictures of kittens, collectible cards, and negative value assets, loans, burdens, and other responsibilities. If anyone ever starts talking about ERCs, you can tell them that 721 was created, at least in part, so that cats could fuck on the blockchain. I was the one who made cats fuck, or wanted cats to fuck on the blockchain, but like, I mean, other people were making breeding things long before I was. They just weren't on the blockchain. It just made sense on the blockchain that they should uh, have permanence and that the genetic thing should pass. The interesting thing about CryptoKitties is we were like, what needs to be on chain? What is imperatively and immutably true? And we decided there was only two things. There was the ownership, who actually owns the thing, and 
the genes. What is, what is the genetic structure that makes this thing unique? And we didn't put the art on chain because we didn't think that was a very good idea at the time, but because it was going to be computationally expensive and literally financially expensive. Then I spent months with nerds on the internet yelling at me about how it wasn't truly decentralized because the art was not where they wanted it to be. They were like, oh, you guys are close, but you fucked up. Axie Infinity is one of those. Jimmy's Davistars are one of those. And he talks about it. He's like, I love CryptoKitties. I love collecting CryptoKitties. They're amazing. I think it's bullshit that the art wasn't on chain. And so we put everything on chain. We're the first absolute on chain NFT. That's because he's mad at us because we weren't all on chain, which is totally valid. Like, I, I don't know that I agree with him, but there was this philosophical statement like, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the genes are there. There's no ability to dispute that this one is not that one. There's no ability to dispute that you have red fur if you have blue fur. The things that make these non-fungible tokens are on-chain. What doesn't really matter is an interpretation of what they look like. And yes, we put together this art, but we spent lots of time arguing about, like, what if you reinterpreted these art as, as dragons? What if these were crypto dragons and the blue fur of the cat made it yellow dragon eyes and the red fur of the cat made it green dragon eyes? Like, that would be interesting. I was obsessed with the idea of photorealistic crypto kitties for a while. Somebody should go read the entire gene structure and re-render every single cat as if it was photorealistic using those weird, like, GAN fucking AI things that make creepy cat pictures. This leads us to a very interesting thing happening that you can only see with NFT projects and open source software generally. And that is people critiquing something in a way that leads to a productive outcome that actually moves the whole project forward or takes it in a new direction that the original creators didn't think about but allow the community to do. All without anyone suing over IP infringement. So an interesting example of this, a couple of people that ended up being employed by Mac were people who, in the community around CryptoKitties, wanted to improve it. We put out CryptoKitties, and within 72 hours, people had built Chrome extensions being like, your site sucks. You, don't, you didn't give us the information we needed. We hid that information from people about how rare things were because we thought that was interesting. The community in response was like, fuck you, we want to know. And so they built it themselves. That's incredible. That's so cool. And that's like what makes blockchain really interesting. And as far as I can tell, deeply underexposed in the current NFT ecosystem. That's where Jordan from Doodles, that's how we met him. Because him and Alan, who still works at Dapper, is the head of design on Top Shot, were super fans and they created Kitty Calc. Then we flew them both up to Vancouver and we're like, can you guys please come work here? And they both said yes. They knew more about CryptoKitties than any of us. Like, full stop. They're both very, very smart. Oh, and we hired Evan along the way, too. Uh, and Evan was awesome at marketing. But uh, last year, Jordan and Evan did Doodles together. And they still call me T.O. Mac. I brag about that because I think, like, I think Doodles is going to go the distance. I think Doodles will be around for a long-ass fucking time. Mac, CryptoKitties, and a lot of Web3 products have that community mindset. For some people, that idea is terrifying. What about brand image, IP, all that other legal stuff? And they have a point, but this isn't that. It's different. While it's an interesting and new way of doing business, like the corporate model, it's not perfect, but it's still very much in its infancy with Web3. As soon as it stopped being easy to make money with CryptoKitties, 90% of people left. If it isn't an easy way to make money, most people are fucking out. And I think that's still true today. And so that's not surprising, but it's boring. 
What happens when you're a major success story? People notice. When your success translates to money in a way that looks repeatable, using a technology that's very visible but few people understand, that's really going to get you noticed. Because now, to everyone else, you're an alchemist. We had every major IP on earth asking to talk to us. We made like millions and millions of dollars flow through these weird pictures of cartoon cats and everybody was like, how the fuck did you do that? And I want one of those. Give it to me right now. Weirdest, crazy, like from Jurassic Park to whatever, everybody, everybody wanted to call us. The only person I could not have talked to that month was Zuckerberg himself. Mac and the team realized at the very least they needed to form a new company and try to capitalize on what they had in front of them. CryptoKitties wasn't going to stay the hot thing for very long in the fast-moving world of NFTs. So when something you do takes off fast, what do you actually do next? Well, you work with one of the biggest sports in the world, basketball. We created CryptoKitties. It blew the fuck up. And they're like, hey, we better like make a new company that owns CryptoKitties. I'm like... Okay. They said, you'd be the co-founder of Dapper. You'd be the chief creative officer and the co-founder of Dapper. And I said, okay. And then we did that. And that was all like in December of that year when the whole thing exploded. And then they're like, now what the fuck are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. And they said, go talk to uh, the NBA. Katie, a friend of Max and the head of partnerships at the company he was co-founder of, Dapper, had links to the sport world already. Katie has been the director of social media analytics and strategy at the NFL, and before that, she was a social media manager at the NHL. And what Mac told me, they had very different skill sets to one another. Complementary, though, and in a way that could get the NBA on board to an NFT project. Here's more on when Katie and Mac visited the NBA. We went to the NBA's office and, and there was like five people from the NBA. They were all sitting on one side of the table. Me and Katie were on the other side. Me and Katie are very good together. She calls herself like some variation of the basic business bitch in the pantsuit. Those are her words, not mine. But Katie's like business. And we we had a real good song and dance together. I go in there. I'd say the craziest shit they'd ever heard. I'd be like, this is the fucking future. And this is how we get there. And she'd be like, and this is why you should trust us to be the people to help you do it. And it was a very powerful combination of the two of us together. My line was, uh, we just pushed $50 million in gross market volume through CryptoKitties and y'all have LeBron James sitting on the fucking bench. Why are you doing that? And they were like, I don't know. We should do a thing. And I'm like, yeah, we should do a thing. And so we convinced them to make Top Shot. And then, well, I didn't convince them to make Top Shot. I went there and sold them on the dream because I'm pretty good at that shit. We had we had an advocate in there. I believe her name was Stacy, and she was super cool. And uh, it took them. I think it took them a year to negotiate the NBA thing. This is what I to this day cannot do. If you need to spend a year arguing contracts, we can't do business. Matt comes across to me as creatively fearless. So it surprised me to hear that Top Shot's concerned him enough as a project that he left. I left before Top Shot went live. I said to Rahama, I'm like, hey, we're going to fuck a basketball. And like, I don't want to be here when you fuck a basketball. You need to fire all these people. I'll get every one of them a job. I'll get every single one of them a job. They're amazing people, but we're going to fuck up this product. And I don't want to be here for that. I was like, or you can put me in charge of basketball. <laughs> you can put me in charge of Top Shot. And uh, he was like, no, man, why would I do that? Like, you can't handle that. They're still very good friends of mine, but I didn't want to work there. 
He's only got good things to say about the people and the project as it is now, but at the time, he really wasn't sure it was going to work. Sometimes, particularly with creative projects, there can be that sense of doom that starts to overshadow the work. Call it creative intuition if you want. Sometimes it turns out to be true. But you could argue that thinking something is doomed to fail is likely to manifest that failure. That's why the wise thing to do is what Mac did. Move on to something else. Creative intuition is hard to interpret because the feeling is so strong. In this case, I think Mac did the right thing. Some hardcore NFT collectors refer to themselves as DGENs. Mac doesn't. He has a preference for purple backgrounds in NFTs and projects where he knows the people behind it. But I had assumed Mac would have gone all in on NFT trading, given the inside track he had on some of the bigger projects. It was interesting to hear him say this. I am a shitty NFT degen. Like, I'm truly, I'm not a degen, as most people describe themselves that. I've never tried to get myself on a whitelist or anything. I... And I won't. If I see NFTs I like, I buy them. I do not get mad at Discord. I don't hang out in Discord. I have other things I'd like to do with my time. Uh, and if there's a project I like, like I like the people behind Doodles a great deal. I tried to buy a Doodle on launch day. I was like, oh, you can't do that. Like, you're not special enough. And I was like, okay. And the next day I went on to OpenSea and I found the absolute fucking perfect Doodle. I like to buy NFTs with purple backgrounds. That's my thing. I found a purple background doodle and it has a giant blue circular head that both looks like me, but also looks identical to the big head logo because we have a big blue circular head as our logo. And I was like, holy shit. That's like, if I asked for a custom doodle, it would look like the thing that, 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 that that's right there. So I just bought it. I've sold probably two NFTs in my life. I've bought hundreds. I ain't here to fucking make money. I have made some money, which is fun, but the most lucrative things I have, like I have a CryptoPunk that probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've never even considered selling it. I'm not that enthusiastic about the apes and I am about doodles. For the first time ever, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll sell it and go get like a project because, you know, I don't know those ape dudes, but Jordan and Evan, I mean, I'd take a bullet for those two, not in the heart, but Jordan could get like two in the arm. And that's like, that's a good reason to know if you're going to buy a project, you know? Mac went on to found a new company called Big Head Club. From there, Mac started working on more Hollywood IP projects, like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ghostbusters was crazy. Before we saw the movie, we were talking to Jason, who directed the movie. He said, listen, the movie's coming. It has mini puffs in it. They're like the state puffs, but they're mini. And there's lots of them. They are playful and they are sadistic and they feel no pain and they travel in packs. That's what you should know about these mini puffs. And we're like, okay. But honestly, it was their idea that we should do a PFP collection of the mini puffs with Jason and Gil's idea. Gil wrote it with Jason. Jason wrote and directed it. So we said, let's make a mechanic where... Because they travel in packs, we took 500 more mini puffs that we made, and we called them the mob, and they will randomly visit the wallet of people who already have a mini puff. So we automatically insert a new NFT into your wallet, and it stays there for only 250 blocks, and then it just fucking leaves, and you can't do a thing about it, unless 
you own a ghost trap NFT. So we gave out 950 ghost trap NFTs. And then when the mob visited your wallet, you would have to, which you would only do if you already had one of the mini puffs. Then if you had a mini puff and a ghost trap, you could capture the mob and get a free NFT PFP. That kind of technical innovation has not been seen in NFTs. We showed the OpenSea engineers and they were like, how the fuck did you do this? I can't tell you how we did it because I ain't smart enough to know. We have an engineer named Andrew who's a fucking genius. He just did doomsdaynft.io. You should check that out. Truly wildly innovative. And every project we do, we're trying to do something that is like truly, oh shit. And the only thing we haven't done yet is open source that. We got to go make that available to everybody because we're trying to build a culture where tinkers, artists, and builders want to gather. We want to build that weird-ass bar where those nerds come hang out because then we're amongst our people and then we know we've done it. And we got to stop hiding shit in celebrity projects because the celebrity projects are fun and it helps for a bunch of reasons. But people don't say to me, how is that really amazing mob mechanic that you built on that project? They're like, how was the Ghostbuster project? I'm like, oh, the Ghostbuster project was fine, but it wasn't even necessarily the most interesting part of what happened in that project. And so... We have to learn how to reframe our work so that people understand the magic that's happening under the surface. Before we dig into Max Oni Ronin projects, I had to ask him about another major NFT project he worked on called Stoner Cats. There are three people named Ash, Sarah, and Chris. They're all writers, producers, artists. They are creative folk in Hollywood. And they've always wanted to make stoner cats. Like for a decade, they've had this cartoon stoner cats in their head. They brought it to Orchard Farm Productions. Orchard Farm is the production company of Lisa Stubikov and Mila Kunis. And yeah, I think that was at the beginning of the pandemic. And Lisa and Mila were like, we fucking love this. This is amazing. We want to make stoner cats. How do we get the money for this thing? Netflix isn't going to touch this. Yes, this is about cats that get stoned. I did have a clip of Mila Kunis discussing this on the Conan O'Brien TV show. But when I reached out to their people to get clearance on use of the audio, uh, it cost quite a lot of money. So I'm just going to summarise it for you. Mila Kunis says that she took an interest in NFTs and crypto during the pandemic. She met some very smart women who'd been in crypto and tech for a while, as in involved with big projects like Facebook's Libra. Long story short, Mila and her collaborators put together a unique project where purchasing a Stoner Cat NFT would give you access to the Stoner Cat's animations. If you have good connections in Hollywood, it's going to be enough to get you a meeting, but it doesn't mean a TV or streaming service is going to distribute a cartoon about cats that get stoned. And that's where NFTs come in. If you're not aware, Mila Kunis is also married to Ashton Kutcher, who, beyond being an actor, is also a tech investor. I certainly have some thoughts about how this will and won't affect the entertainment industry, but I'll save those for after Max shares his version of how he got involved in the project. Apparently Mila just like yelled at Ashton, hey, what the fuck is an NFT, you know? Can we NFT this thing? And he was like, I don't know, but you should talk to my friend Maria and my friend uh, Morgan. And so they did. Maria works at Sound Ventures, which is Ashton's VC thing. And Morgan, she created Carpe Diem or whatever they fucking call it, Libra at Facebook, their own internal chain. 
She's one of the two people who was behind that whole thing beside David Marcus. I think he was like a mentor to her. Now she's a VC at uh, Network Effects, NFX, a big Israeli fund. Um, so the four of them, Lisa, Mila, Maria, and Morgan, were like, yeah, we're like, they have the crypto expertise. They have the Hollywood expertise. We should all do this together. And I was talking to Maria a lot at that time. And she kept being like, oh, yeah, my friends are doing this cartoon project. And she kept sort of running the concepts by me. And like uh, different ways that you might use NFTs as a form of um, funding and accessing this content. And there was just like some really complicated ideas about everybody's going to build their own movie theater. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the early stages of a startup. There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting ideas floating around and a lot of them too complicated, probably to be all that useful. I can be like, no, that's a terrible idea. I'm like, no, don't do that. Mario was like, dude, fuck you. Like, come talk to them directly. I, I don't want to be the middle woman in this conversation anymore. So, yeah, they, they were like, we have this amazing content. We want to make it. And so we're like, yeah, you could make NFTs. I felt a little bit weird about it. I was like, man, I can't escape these, like, cats on the blockchain thing. So we decided to do that with them. And they were they were great. They were super awesome. And to be honest, like, their company is called Sixth Wall, and our company is called Big Head Club, and we did Stonercast together, and we're doing lots of projects without them now, and they're doing projects without us, but we're back to back, you know, us against the world on a bunch of shit. I hope we're doing more projects together soon. They got a thing called Gimmicks coming out, which is on Solana. It's a wrestling show. Um, I'm not really doing more shows. There's a lot of hard things that come with producing content like that. That's why I'm making only running comic, not an only running cartoon, because I can get this comic done in six months. And cartoons are fucking hard. As you may know, Stoner Cats sold out in less than an hour. Success, as I'm sure many people in Hollywood and NFTs will tell you, comes at a high price. Sometimes literally. We sold $8 million worth of Stoner Cats in 35 minutes. And that sounds like very successful. But that really, really, really sucked, to be honest. That created incredible expectations. That created a very angry community. Uh, Ashton called me after three days and was like, dude, we're going to hand out a million dollars in gas money. And it's not a fucking refund because we didn't get that money. That went to the miners. But Ashton and Mila each threw up 500 fucking thousand dollars worth of money to give gas to the community of people that had bought the NFTs. Here's my view on how Stoner Cats may have affected the entertainment industry going forward, and also how it hasn't affected it at all. With Netflix and other streaming services, you pay a monthly subscription to have access to content they distribute to you. You pay one low price for these services, and you cannot resell your access to Netflix to someone else. It's not a stock in Netflix that you can trade. It's a standard legal contract that you have with a streaming provider. The difference with Stoner Cats is that the token that provides access to the content is tradable, which means the NFTs are tied to the value of the TV show, but their value will also be tied to the market sentiment towards the whole project. That includes the founders and other things that might affect how people feel about the project. Like the fact that celebrities are involved. People talk about share prices being more stable than NFTs, and they are in many ways, but Tesla's share price can arguably be affected by Elon Musk tweeting things that are non-Tesla related. So what might this mean for the entertainment industry? 
Well, it's not the beginning of the great unbundling of Netflix and other streaming services, because I, like many people, want to pay one flat rate to access entertainment. Imagine having to buy an NFT for each individual series you wanted to watch. That's not going to work at scale for mainstream entertainment. But maybe that's the point. Stoner Cats isn't mainstream. In fact, they couldn't get Netflix or anyone to pick up the show. So the Web 2 way to do it would have been to sink money into making the show, put it on YouTube and try to generate revenue from ads. But doing it that way doesn't give viewers any sense of ownership. They don't have any skin in the game. So for me, I imagine that NFTs will become a way to finance projects that otherwise can't get the green light from a major studio. If the onboarding problem and tech learning curve is removed, then I think that we could see this replacing some crowdfunding. Or maybe some crowdfunding platforms will start to issue NFTs when people, quote unquote, invest in a project. But honestly, I think choosing to do it the same way Stoner Cats has totally depends on what relationship you want to have with the audience and if you need the money up front. You're asking consumers to pay up front for content. Those people, just like the big studios who back film, TV and animation projects, would obviously want to know if they're going to lose money on the show. Of course, people who put the money up for something want input. That's true of the studios and it is of the community that buys the NFTs. People want to know how their money's being spent. Some people who've speculatively invested want to know if they're going to make anything back on top, make a profit. It shouldn't be a surprise that NFT speculators can get pretty demanding as a community. When the sentiment of a community turns against a project, that anti-hype will send the value of an NFT collection to zero very quickly. So I wonder then if the future for entertainment might be twofold. NFT collectors and big studios might be investing together in future. There'd be aligned incentives. It might sound weird to you, but think about how many people might have bought an NFT for the fourth season of Stranger Things on Netflix, for example. Maybe that NFT would have given people early access to the episodes or other exclusive content. Perfect for collectors and a way to flesh out the world building even further for Stranger Things itself. Plus, there's constant references to things like Dungeons and Dragons in Stranger Things. Surely the Duffer brothers have missed an opportunity there to do a partner project with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast on some sort of D&D Web 3. That brings me to Mac's current project, Oni Ronin. It's very collectible, but not very commercial. It's art, but it doesn't tap into a zeitgeist. It has utility and some fun elements. What does surprise me is that Oni Ronin is not bigger than it actually is. The website didn't explain the depth of the project in the same way Mac did to me. I think you'll enjoy this. We launched a project called Oni Ronin six months ago, and we sold exactly half of them. And everybody else who sells half a project is then like, okay, well, we we didn't sell them all. On to the next one. We're like, fuck no. We're going to double down. We're going to just like do more and more. Mac is honest, but he's also really fair. 
With every project, I feel Mac is making NFTs better. He's a net positive contributor. After the chaos of gas wars with stoner cats, only Ronin solved that problem. All of that chaos had us being very careful. We built an amazing reserve and claim system for getting an Oni Ronin. So that all you do is show up and claim your NFT. It's, it's the narrowest, smallest, thinnest possible transaction you can send on Ethereum. And that is all you have to do when we do the drop in order to reserve your NFT. Because we don't want to have more crazy gas wars. Then later you can come back whenever you want and you can complete the transaction. There's so much thought that's gone into the Only Ronin project, end to end. Here's the whole story. So with Oni Ronin, we have all of our attribute names in Japanese on OpenSea. All the attribute categories and all the attribute names. Because we are trying to make this project that is very like crazy and fantasy and over the top and heavy metal fucking nutty. But also very respectful of the Japanese tradition and history that it is um, embedded in. We've been very careful. Like we have a Japanese producer that we make a lot of gut checks with. Hey, we're not somehow being shitty white people who are like, you know, destroying effigies that matter to you or something. Really, we are trying to think very carefully through all of that. But one, and so we made all the attribute names in Japanese, and we paid this translator to do it. And uh, another Japanese friend of mine pulled me aside and said, "Listen, these are incredible. There's like deep poetry. It's it's really actually it raises the hair on my neck to think about how well these are named." And I was like, "Fuck yeah, that's so cool. That's what I was hoping for. I, like I couldn't do that myself, but that's exactly what we were hoping for." Uh, and It'll be so cool as the community comes together and pieces those apart and figures out what those names are and understands a lot. That's never happened. That's never. That's like my only sadness about Oni Ronin is that never happened. And I don't think that happens in NFT communities anymore. Max referring to the discovery by three friends of a secret NFT treasure hunt in March 2022. The NFT and the puzzle that led to it were created by Lava Labs almost a year before it was actually found. An abstract black and white image posted in an exclusive Discord server had a secret code hidden in the image. Cracking that code revealed a cryptic clue, which led to another puzzle to solve, eventually revealing an Ethereum private key to a wallet with 0.025 Ethereum in it. And it also had a free NFT, a MeBit if you're interested. MeBits recently had a floor price of $3,500 each, the total market cap of $70 million. So not bad for solving a puzzle. It generated a lot of press for the puzzle and the NFT. You would have thought this whole puzzle chasing thing would have caught on a bit more. Yeah, so we don't have like, we don't have a secret puzzle where you translate all the names and it says my mother's name in Japanese and if you find her birthday, then I'll give you an ETH wallet with one ETH in it. Like there's, there's no treasure hunt of fun like that. But... Um, there is, you know, half known information for the community to rally behind and discover. And, uh, they have not. And, and, and I like, I don't spend time in discord and I'm not going to start like, this isn't interesting to me. Point is, there's very few communities right now that I know of collections, whatever that have communities rallying to solve puzzles in fun ways. The only thing people rally around is the floor price. And that's super fucking boring. I read a book about um, Japanese samurai death haiku. 
And in order to live well as a samurai, you needed to die well, because acceptance of death was part of freedom of life. And in order to die well, you would try and write your haiku that's, you know, poetically and magnificently summed up the lessons of your life as close as possible to the moment that you actually died. That was the home run. If you could, like, last brush stroke on the paper and then you fall over dead, you fucking won. Some people wrote it decades in advance, but you were trying to time that very perfectly. So this is like a thing summarized. So I read these and I was like, this is fucking amazing. I started reading those on Twitter, like through the Big Head account. I would just start reading death poetry to people. And then I was talking to a neighbor of mine for 15 years who I've been doing like artwork on and off for many years. And I was talking to a Japanese friend of mine. When we were at CryptoKitties, I was talking about doing work with him. And we'd go get drunk at the bar and then go back to the Dapper office and do Lego. Me and Manabu. Manabu's an old Japanese guy, but we'd go get drunk and do Lego. And he called me Detake, which means big hands in Japanese, because I was shitty at doing Lego when I was drunk. And he's like, you're, you're clumsy big hands. I was like, oh my God, okay. So Manabu, me, and Lance are like circling these ideas. and uh, And I was like, okay, we're going to make Samurai NFT. We're going to make Ronin NFT. So with our... Big at NFTs, we like to explore something new every time. We want to push the envelope either technologically or culturally in some way. And we said, you know what's crazy? It's seppuku. The act of self-violence that you do if you are dishonored is really fucking nutty. You don't understand that. How could we like approximate the bravery required for that? How can we come up with a bravery mechanic? So we're like, okay, here's how this works. There are Crazy samurai. The Oni Ronin are nutty. Of the 8,888 Oni Ronin, 88 of them have a golden Ronin hidden inside. And you don't know if you have a golden Ronin unless you take your Ronin to the Trial of Ascension. And if you take your Ronin to the Trial of Ascension, then you commit him and you find out whether you have one of the 88 golden, but you probably don't, because only 1% do, and then you end up with the fallen. Whether you have a fallen Ronin or a golden Ronin, you can finally listen to your death haiku for the first time. So one of the attributes of these Oni is that all of them have got one of 20 death haiku that is written in the background all the time. People don't see it, but it's the smoke behind every one of them is actually the poem written out by Manabu's mother in Japan. And then you go to the Trial of Ascension. The thing is, if you get a Fallen, they still come in one of twelve, one of 10 shades of random color. And we got a special side project that a lot of people don't know about, is that if you collect all 10 of those and send them to RoninHell.eth, then we will make you a custom Ronin. Only five people on Earth have done this. This is cool. We have amazing art. We have historical context that is like very accurate. These are real death poems. Those poems that are written there are from samurai from the year 1200 to the year 1900, like it's true historical context. And then you do the trial of ascension. You find out if you have a fallen or if you have a golden. On top of that, because we really do want to pay respect to this culture that has inspired us so much, we have a bunch of lessons and classes that we give people who own an Oni Ronin. All you have to do is Oni Ronin. You can come to our Zen meditation classes, you can come to our Japanese language classes, you can come to our flower arranging classes, our haiku poetry writing classes. We have fucking Edo period, late Edo period history lessons with a university professor. Like he teaches at Cornell. He's a real university professor. 
They want to study Japanese history with him. All you got to do is own an Oni Ronin. As Max said previously, the fact they haven't sold all of the Oni Ronin NFTs in the collection at the time that we talked hasn't actually stopped them planning and continuing with the project. It doesn't disappoint as a project either. We have the demonic fox spirits, nine-tailed foxes that everybody knows in some capacity or another. And those are going to be fucking crazy. And then we have a comic coming. So late last night, I got the link to the 84-page comic written in Japanese by Japanese people. Again, you know, respect your elders and the traditions that you're coming from. Uh, and that's fucking bonkers, to be honest. It's really, really cool. I'm trying to figure out how to distribute that. That's my next fun thing. Oh, and then the other thing we'll probably do, but this one is not promised. Uh, so uh, we've got trips to Japan we're giving people. If you own an Oni Ronin, you're automatically entered for a draw to a trip to Japan. Uh, but one thing we've come to terms with, especially after seeing Doodles and how people much just love those cute little fuckers, is that we have hardcore, heavy metal, fantasy, samurai shit. Like, these are so fucking cool. But they're not PFPs in the sense that most people don't look at one of these and be like, oh, yeah, I totally identify. Like, that that looks like me in the morning. Whereas one of the cool things about Doodles is it really does feel representational to so many people, and it's adorable. So we're very strongly considering, though I'm not committing to this yet, we're very strongly building, considering building uh, Kutsune. And so there will be an entirely new collection, which will be fucking adorable. Like, we'll go pay for very, very good art of very, very cute little animals. But the only way you get the Kutsune is if you send a Kitsune and an Oni Ronin into the Kutsune portal. You send the Kitsune into the portal, you got a Kutsune back, and it's a direct translation, like a one-to-one translation of your Kitsune but in the adorable format, taking us outside of the realm of the like psychopathic demon Ronin. What I find quite profound about the Oni Ronin project and something that I think you could call Mac Flavellian is that hidden inside is a life lesson, that some doors in life are one way. You can't go back. Once it's done, it's done. I actually mentioned this to Mac at the time to see if he'd thought of it this way. I didn't want to say it because I sound like a pretentious fuck, but yes, um, most of the interesting choices in life are one-way doors. Even though the Oni Ronin project continues, I wondered whether Mac felt disappointment at not selling the whole collection. Sure. Um, Yeah, totally. I mean, everybody wants to sell out. But when I get disappointed, I don't like take my fucking ball and go home. Now I'm like, well, I'm going to kick you motherfuckers in the dick over and over and over until I stop being disappointed. Now we're going to kick the market in the dick over and over and over until we sell all the Oni Ronin. Like, maybe there's some point where we have to walk away, but that time is not now. We've got hundreds of thousands of dollars we're going to spend continuing to develop this IP. But here's the thing. We confuse people. Like, people are simple is my is the best conclusion I have. And I don't have a single narrative thread that... I just told you what makes Oni Ronin fucking incredible. And I didn't even tell you everything, but I told you most of what makes Oni Ronin incredible. And it took me, who knows the product very well, like three minutes... And that doesn't work for the attention span of degen traders who are like, when moon? And that's all they want to know. If, if your answer is more than a sentence, you already lost them. And so we created a multidimensional, multifaceted thing. And that's not actually what people want for the most part. There are some people who do, God bless them, that I'm going to keep building things for those people. But that is not what a lot of people are here for. And the other thing is like, we did shitty marketing on Oni Run, and we really did. Most people didn't know Oni Run was launching before it launched. That's my fault. I take full responsibility for that. Part of the reason for that was because our last launch before that had been fucking chaos. And that was Stoner Cats. 
So we built this really cool technical reservation system to manage exactly that. We also did a bunch of like hardcore breaks on how many Ronin people could buy. We were like, you can buy 10 per transaction, but that wallet is then on a cooldown that lasts, I think we said 10 blocks. You can't come back and buy more. At the time I spoke to Mac, he was working on a new idea called the boat game. Like everything Mac works on, it has some really interesting mechanics. Essentially, it's a boat race with a twist. I'll let him explain, but it boils down to this. The more you lose, the higher your chance of winning. But if you lose too much on the way to winning, you won't really win anything. It's a game of balance, cooperation and competition. Sounds straightforward, right? We had all these cool names for it. We called it Judas. We called it Kyote because Kyote is a type of boat in Japan and it also means a contract between two people, which is a fucking very interesting word. Mm, but I think it's just going to be called Boat Game. And uh, in Boat Game, I can join a team if I have the NFT that that team requires. Let's say that you need a Stoner Cat to join the Stoner Cat team. You need Oni Ronin to join the Oni Ronin team. Once the game begins, we take gold and we distribute it amongst everybody on the team. Let's say there's a thousand pieces of gold. I get a hundred because I have 10 Oni Ronin. Somebody else on my team only gets 10 because they only have one Oni Ronin. Over the course of the game, all you can do is throw your gold away. And the reason you would do that is because you're on a race against the other team. There's this giant tentacle wave chasing you, and the slow boat is going to get eaten by the tentacle wave. So you need to not get eaten by the tentacle wave. So you need to throw all your gold overboard, which is pretty easy. The more gold you throw over, the faster you go. But at the end of the game, there is a big prize pool, and you prize pool that you get is tied to how much gold you have left. So if you throw all your gold overboard, you've served your team very well, but you get nothing. And so the tension of the game comes inside a team. The interesting intersection of cooperation and competition, where I'm like, Paul, throw some fucking gold overboard. We're going to lose. And you're like, dude, you have all the gold. You throw your gold over. And I'm like, no, man, I already threw a bunch of gold over. Just because I started with a bunch doesn't make me the villain. And we have this fight inside the Discord of our community. We're not building our own Discord for the boat game. That happens like in the communities of different projects. We're going to see who works well. And then the fun part is, after every round of this game, the winning team gets a vote. Do you want to catch up? Or do you want to play again? And then you split into two. That winning team splits into two. So if you win the next round, you get an even larger percentage of the prize. Or you could lose. It's like Squid Game. I assume that this meant there'd be no way for different teams to spy on each other, but Mac had already thought of that. Uh, we don't assume that because many people would own NFTs in both discords. Right? There's no, there's no... At one point, we had people able to join both teams. We turned that off. That got really... Again, we call this Judas for a reason. There's some, like, hardcore betrayal that goes on in this. We're, we're, it's almost done being built. We're, and this all takes place in the Oniverse. So just so everybody knows, this happens at oniRonin.io slash boat game. So everybody who comes... And, and if we succeed, every NFT community is going to be like, oh, let us play, let us play. Like, we're going to show those ducks that they fucking suck. I love subducks. We're going to show the mutant apes that they're dumb. We're going to show whoever, like, they're a bunch of rich shitlords, and we're smart. And we're fucking hungry and we're quell coordinated. We're a good team, but they're all gonna come to the Oni Ronin site in order to play this game. I don't know, maybe they buy an Oni Ronin while they're there. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much indeed to Mac and Big Head Club. And a special thank you goes out to Angel from diamondhandbag.club, who not only introduced me to Mac in the first place. 
I've got an interview with her coming up on the show. It's a fantastic one. You won't want to miss that. You can find more information, leave a review of the podcast or send in your questions or opinions to mintedpodcast.com. Also on the website, you'll find links to crypto exchanges and other resources that I think you'll find useful if you're an NFT creator or collector. Whether you're just starting out or looking for something new, you'll find links to the likes of Coinbase and more over at mintedpodcast.com. All of those links are affiliate links, so clicking them would support the show. Thanks very much, and I'll see you next time.